So here we, here we are on our last evening together on this retreat. We spent eight full days and four nights together practicing. Perhaps we have a memory of that opening night. All the different experiences that perhaps seem so real. Interested, excited, inspired, convinced that we're not getting anywhere. The kaleidoscope of experiences seeming to going through the days and yet uh, remembering that they're really the when reminded by the Buddha that the the days, the sense of time, the experiences are manifesting within the heart that ever remains, that original brightness that when we, we lose touch with when we get so entangled. But when we do what we've done for these, the eight days, honoring the the most precious jewels in the universe, according to the Great Awakened Ones. The triple jewel, the, the refuge, the measureless principles, which when we make much of them, align with these qualities which are inherent in our own being, which perhaps we recognize at first externally, in a wise being, someone that touches us, in a wise teaching. But if it's really a wise being and a wise teaching, they won't leave you, they won't leave us, just clinging out there to them. They'll point you back to that uh, treasure right in our, at the core of our own being. How ironic we can look the world over for that which is, you know, really precious and it's, it's right here. So I don't know how you feel, how you are, but uh, I hope you feel good about this time. For me, I feel it's been such a blessed, blessed Thanksgiving. I, uh, what a wonderful uh, way to, to truly honor this uh, time of year, not just the name of it, but the depth of uh, cultivating that appreciative awareness which reveals the treasures of the heart, the treasures of this mysterious reality. And as the winds of karma start to blow in this, this form, this quite extraordinary form, it's flowering. As the winds blow, will be petals will be dispersed and hopefully, and I trust, the seeds, seeds will be swept in different direction and uh, take root, continue to take root in our lives. Yes, yes, the circumstances of this retreat are, are artificial in a sense. They're constructed. Coming to a 
blessed sanctuary like Spirit Rock and the, and the silence and the support of, of, of this uh, place. But the principles that we've been cultivating are timeless and uh, eminently transportable. And may, may they continue to take uh, root in our lives. The, remember as we started, the simplifying. Might be nice to, wouldn't it be wonderful if all beings were at peace and lovely wish, but we, we cultivated primary relationship didn't we? Those first few days of, you know, wanting to be at peace with all beings, but we don't even know how to be at peace with and be with our body or our thoughts or our uh, moods or, our, or this moment, spending, you know, starting those first few days, returning to one step, lining up quality of presence with this moment, one step at a time being with an in-breath, being with an out-breath. Learning that we don't have to be swept away by every single impulse, every single thought, that we're able to patiently, persistently, but uh, wisely be able to say, not now, when this wants us to worry about that or think about that, and just to use a thought to remind us here, now, how is it stabilizing ourselves with this foundation in the body? Hopefully getting a little little sense for the, the calming that can happen and the, and the mystery, the, the miracle that all the stresses, strains, all that's been done really is, is bringing awareness to the tension, to the pains, to the agitation, to the dullness, to the wanting, to the not wanting. Just, just connecting, bringing the different dimensions of our being together, our body, our awareness, our thought in moments. That there's some mysterious alchemy where we, we can get the sense of being centered. Some sense of calming. Some sense of restoring. Possibility of enjoying something so simple. Listening to a sound. Standing at ease. Being with the movement and the stillness within the movement and the movement within the stillness. Not overlooking the radical. Significance. Of being able to to know and savor and taste even a little bit an enjoyment that is rooted in such simplicity that does not exploit anything or anyone that blesses moments. So we're moving into the advanced practice as we as we. Creatively gather in our life into this frame of reference of pausing to just be in moments even with where we are at, one step. You know, you have to walk across the room to have a conversation on the other side of the door and maybe it's not even going to be easy, but we could spend the whole time wondering, I don't know what I'm going to say, it's going to be a difficult conversation. Oh, God. I could say that I have another meeting. But to, to just actually be with the steps, to align ourselves with the truth of a step that's an impression that's there and then gone, there and then gone, coming into touch with that simplicity and that wisdom. Remember our calming then was shifted into also seeing the nature of things, 
being able to come in touch with the changing nature of a step, changing nature of a worry, the recognition of all this, what might happen on is just speculation. How many times has all our worry just been worry? I should, I should have a PhD in worry. <laughs> I definitely have a master's, but I think I deserve a PhD in worry. In the, the investigating, seeing the changing nature of things and wanting what's changing not to be changing. Looking for certainty in that which is not certain, as Ajahn Chah said. Wondering why the moon doesn't always stay full. I mean, that's just perfect. What's this new moon business? Realizing the insanity of that, the, 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 the disenchantment, the moments of, of realizing that continually wanting something to give us happiness. As Blake says, he who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy, but he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. <coughs> Getting even a hint of how when we, we, we grasp something, we're choking it. We have our most beautiful butterflies nailed to the I wondered, one of the motivations for going to the monastery, for me, when I was 24, is, uh, I wondered, why do there's so many of us, we fall in love and it's very serious and sincere. I'll forever, I'll love you forever. I'll do anything for you. And we end up almost killing each other and doing, why? Well, what happens? I, I wonder, that was one of my wonderings. We get, just get a taste when we start to see the changing nature. It, that's like grasping at air. It's a recipe for frustration. So the letting go and f- getting a sense for the, the putting that boulder down, that futility, that samsaric futility of trying to arrive by holding, looking for steadiness, and it can't give us that getting a sense for the emptiness, the heart, the relief, the stillness, and touching into that that ground of being. And we've also been touching into the, the the amazing blessing of compassion, kindness, compassion, the welcoming. The blessing of that, that softens and melts the heart. It can sometimes, it can, uh, these different practices that we do, they can be, be uh, it can seem a bit confusing. Uh, but I would like to encourage us to, to remember that if you, you know, you've got Buddha-loved lists, you know, you have the ten baramitas and the eightfold path and the uh, seven factors of enlightenment and the 37 bodhipakyadamas, and you think, oh my God. But you boil it all up and, you know, basically it's about awareness. When there's awareness uninterested, a clear, a cultivated awareness, a patient awareness, illumines the nature of things. And that all these different practices are mudras or, or developing the skill of this awareness. So in time, though, these different practices might seem clunky. In time, we, we, we get agility natural agility. Our practice is a dance, more of a dance. You know, Ajahn Chah talked about it, you know, how 
sometimes it seems like contradictions. He, you know, he said it's like his experience of teaching is he's behind his disciples walking down the road and he notices some veering to the left side and they're almost getting ready to fall into the ditch on the left and they'll say, go right. So the diligent disciples write down, Master says, go right. We know what happens, you know, they start to veer to the right, get, getting near the ditch on the right, and, and the master says, go left. And another diligent disciple writes down, master says, go left. And the argument, go right, go left. Say not now, steady, steady your mind, calm. Let go, let go, let go. No, Kitty Sorrow said, let go. Oh, didn't Sharda say welcome, welcome everything? <laughs> you know, I, I think they got to get on the same page. <laughs> and uh, and Sebenay said, let go and embrace. <laughs> My God. How can you do that at the same time? But this, this one awareness, our, our agility, and, and we, by the awareness, by listening in, we get the sense. And this is where it's, gonna, it's so fun. Let's enjoy the creativity of applying our practice. The great uh, Tanisha I like remembering the, 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 the saying of the great sage, uh, Sri Nisargadatta, who said, Wisdom says I'm nothing. Compassion says, I'm everything. Between these two banks, the life of the awakened one flows. Wisdom says, I'm not the thing. When we, our awareness sees this changing nature, that what seems so much like me, my thoughts, and we start to see them, I'm, I'm, I'm really feeling good, and oh, I'm not really sure how I feel now or I have no doubt whatsoever I am in a pit. <laughs> we start to see how these, these, these shapes, these moods, these states keep coming and going and what yet is me but for an instant or for a time wisdom says I'm not a thing. And we start to then notice that spacious, peaceful heart But we can so enjoy the peace and can sort of associate suffering with contact. We can sort of keep things at bay. And then sometimes it's really helpful to notice the sufferings coming from not wanting to hear any sounds, not wanting to be bothered. Compassion says I'm everything, remembering that the Emptiness that's empty, if you really don't want anything there, it's not true emptiness, it's called aversion. It's a welcoming. Compassion says, I'm everything. Opening to, takes one to that same non-split place between these two banks. This is the yoga of bhavana, the word the Buddha used for meditation. He didn't use the word meditate as far as I know. I don't think he was speaking English. <laughs> Meditate. It has a certain connotation, but it can be a little thinky and repeating. Bhavana, the word the Buddha used, is like cultivate. Bring into being the skill of, the richness of. Focusing. Calming. Penetrating. Letting go. Welcoming. All this wonderful heart. And to do this, this change of 
center of gravity. You know, we have all this chanting. Where does the chanting fit in there, Kitty Sorrow? I don't know. But for me, <laughs> it's an it's a expression of the changing of our trust. Learning little by little, the chanting it helps me remember to trust this awareness. So we honor Buddha, the wise, compassionate, the awakened one, Dharma, the way things are and those teachings that remind us. Sangha, those good friends that inspire us and again encourage us. And that essence of practice which is befriending. In every moment we have the opportunity to befriend what is skillful. Or to just be on automatic, not even knowing whether it's skillful or not. Just automatically follow some old habit. Maybe uh, even unskillful habit. But every moment's an opportunity to be moved by, I, I think of Sangha's Holy Spirit. <clears throat> it's what moves us in alignment with the true nature. Sometimes we just take refuge in the hungry ghost. Gotta have this, gotta get rid of that. It seems like it's going to get us to the good place, but it makes us more and more frenetic. Sangsara, the befriending, what is skillful. coming to that place of listening really in, encourages to this refuge is and the chance just can be a way of, of, of helping having something tangible to come back and, and this prayerful I didn't really talk about it but you know it's like this mudra you know, it's not that one has to, we didn't take notes who uses the Anjali Mudra, who didn't. But this is an ancient, almost quite universal, respectful. Notice what happens if, if, if we do this Mudra. Back off! <laughs> you know, Buddha! <coughs> <laughs> and if you disagree with me, you're going to get it. But you know, notice this, like it's the namaste mudra, the honoring the divinity, the preciousness outside, but also inside. It's a listening. So it's not that one has to do it, but these, just like the bowing, can be, can be moments of bringing the left, the right together and listening, remembering what, what am I honoring, honoring. At the time of the Buddha, when those visited the Buddha or the great, saints and sages, they had a question. A lot of the times they, they, they would get some sort of answer, some sort of help. <coughs> Sorry to remind you, Kitty Sorrow, but the, the Buddha's dead. <laughs> the refuge is living. It's living. It's responsive. There was a monk that Love gazing at the Buddha, his golden skin, his curly hair, his beautiful features, his melodic voice. I'm sure his nose wasn't too big, maybe like mine, oh, I don't know, but, but he's a Buddha. This monk loved just... Gazing, listening, he was he was loved being around the Buddha. So the Buddha, at some point, thought, <clears throat> "I think this guy needs another lesson." So he sent him to a branch monastery or somewhere in the distance. And the person's thinking, "Oh my goodness, I've been sent away from the Buddha. Woe is me." separated from the Buddha. So the Buddha appears to him, reads his mind, appears to him and says, what are you unhappy about? What am I unhappy about? I got sent away by the Buddha. The Buddha says, you think this is the Buddha? This body's born, it dies. 
when you see the Dharma, when you see the nature of things, you see the true Buddha, you hear the true Buddha, this refuge that we move to when we trust enough, not just start to get in perspective this concretization, objectification, this sense that the good stuff is somehow a a thing we got to have, something, an opinion. We start to really notice and honor the ephemeral, changing nature and get a feeling for the heart the the brightness, the sensitivity within which all that is happening. We start to get a touch into the source, the source of wisdom. And actually it's, it's part of the skill of a wise person, not to let somebody. Otherwise, one just hang on to them just all the time, because then they're always putting it out there. So part of our prayerfulness, there's a prayerfulness that I find is really, really helpful, that, that's really about inner listening. And even if there isn't a Buddha sitting out there, and we're going to find ourselves lots of times in situations, oh, God, what do I do? Oh, God, nobody's here. Just me. What do I do? Can we question? Feeling all the... At one time, we feel all the complexity of our situation, the paradoxes, the, the difficulties. We're feeling that... What needs to happen? What should I do? Listening into that silence, the living silence. This refuge is not dead. Oh, yes, it is, Kitty Zor. I'm sorry to have to tell you this. You got some waking up to do. Even if we have that conviction, it's nothing's here, to hear that kindly, patiently, as a view, which is what it actually is. When we, as we start to do that, miracles can start to happen. I loved when Charter, you read, I'm sure I got it wrong, was that the Albert Einstein, that you can have two approaches, everything's a miracle or nothing's a miracle, something like that. So miraculous, really. And as, as one starts listening and not having to have it all planned out, being willing not to know, I finally remembered the line of my my own poem that I forgot. (laughs) Somebody wants to hear it. (laughs) Trust is precious, a treasure trove of gold. Guard it with all your heart, and you'll never grow old. It's not a question of this or that believed or disbelieved, but rather letting where you're at be silently received the heart of faith, the heart that knows, leaves no trace and neither comes nor goes. Leaves no trace. That's the line I forgot, important line. Leaves no trace. Gotta write it down. Leaves no trace. (laughs) Where can I pin it to the wall somewhere? The leaves no trace is remember even the moment of seeing change. The Buddha said is so precious. Leaves no trace. There are going to be many, 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 many moments that we have the opportunity to just hear a sound take us back, a thought take us back to that leaving no trace, to the brightness. And when we, that moment of openness, all kinds of miracles can happen. One of my favorite things, in the, though I'm sick quite a lot, one thing that used to really help me when my strength started coming back was uh, 
I was abbot of a little monastery for three years in the west of England, and we would, in the summer, go on tudong, which means to shake off. It means you, you leave your monastery and you go walking. And we would walk, uh, uh, do a pilgrimage for, you know, 100 miles or so, just to, not knowing where you're going to uh, stay, but carry what you have to sleep, and then ask, you know, we're monks on pilgrimage, do you know where we might be able to just uh, camp for the night? So, you know, we would be quite happy to have people say no. But then you, you, you have miracles happen. Because people want to know who you are and what are you going to eat? Well, I'm not sure. And then the f- food manifests. And well, one of these uh, pilgrimages, these tudongs, I remember walking. I can't remember. One year we went from Honiton in Devon down to Plymouth. One year from Honiton where our little monastery was to Bath in Somerset. And one year from our monastery to Sussex. I can't remember which which part we were in, but we were walking along, had our backpack, and one step at a time. Oh, it's beautiful, just being with sensations. And um, so we're just walking along on a path out in the country. There was a, on a little road, but a lot of uh, countryside next to us. And there was a certain place where it forked. But right as we got to it, and we're just walking in silence, Someone tapped me on the head. But there was nobody there. Visible being came and tapped me on the head and said, you should go right. So I just said, I, I think we should go, go right here. And then my attendant monk, uh, Venerable Atapaimo, he said, Venerable, uh, no, 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 I think we should go left. Uh, because really, and he had the map, and he was really good at, I wasn't very good at maps. He was very good and said, see, look, this will be a shortcut. We can go here. And I said, no, but, but look, maybe we should just go right. He said, no, no, this will really cut off. We can go, go there. I said, uh, okay. I didn't really say, hey, uh, someone just tapped me and told me to go wrong. <laughs> I didn't say that. So, okay, so we started going his path, where he thought, we're walking down a path, maybe even only 200 yards, 100, 150 yards down. This man appeared in the field. I hadn't even seen him before. And he said, wouldn't come this way if I were you. And he had a backpack on, spraying something. Maybe it was some kind of poison. So, you know, uh, we went back. I still didn't say anything about getting tapped. <laughs> okay, so, so, so we go back and we walk along. And maybe in about an hour, I'm not sure quite how long it was, there on the side of the road, up in front, was this old man waiting. And he had a thing that looked like an old phonograph thing. I don't know if it was for his ear or something like that. And he's been over, and it had a little kind of like loudspeaker. And as we got closer, he says, When the Lord Buddha was enlightened. <laughs> and he walked to Kasha, beating the drum of the Dharma <laughs> to open the doors of the deathless. Welcome. <laughs> Come in. And there on his front yard were these tables set out in this beautiful china and all this tea and stuff. And, and his daughter came and said, we saw you early this morning and, and this is his birthday today. I don't know how much longer he will live. He was 80 or something. And he he was a colonel in India with the Gurkhas. And he was telling me about this this, this lama that met him. And he wanted to to show us his prayer will. And it it was so sweet when he 
took us through the house and the pictures of the llama and the prayer will oh money but me. And I just saw miracles. There are miracles in life. Just having the space to come back to the moment. The miracles we've been hearing about also, the, the miracles of, of, uh, of kindness. Not only is a moment of impermanence, of inestimable blessing, the Buddha said. But the other thing he said about that was well, the other approach that he used, that same sort of expression, was moments of kindness, loving kindness. That if you even have an attitude of loving kindness, I think one of them was the time it takes to pull the udder of a cow. I haven't done that. But I don't think it's that long. (laughs) 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 He says you, you can, let's say short time. You can call yourself a disciple of the Buddha that you're not eating the alms food of the people of the countryside in vain. Just as seeing that impermanence starts to put a hairline fracture in the, in the engine of samsara that is imagining we're going to get hold of something. Similarly, a moment of opening to, rather than putting a wall up against, opening to, opening to, opening to. This is so useful. Moments of checking, am I pushing something away? Can I be kind? Allowing, as Tanisra was encouraging us this morning, allowing, receiving, being with, practicing welcoming. The archetypal memory I have of, of the magic of that was I was a prison chaplain as part of my monk's life and I would get invited to different prisons, Exeter Prison, a prison off of Laverne, I can't remember which town that's off of, Portsmouth or something. Uh, But also I got uh, invited down once to the uh, Grimm Prison on the Dartmoor, Dartmoor Prison. At that time it was high security and uh, the, uh, I was invited down to help some prisoners celebrate a Vesak, uh, the Buddha's birth and awakening and, uh, and death, Parinibbana. Theravadans roll all the big uh, ceremonies. We're very economical. We, ro- <laughs> we roll them all into one. <laughs> so, uh, so these prisoners had never been allowed to meet because that was considered dangerous, but they were making an exception. So anyway, you know, these gray moors, gray day, gray stone walls, and I go into all the security stuff, led by some guards to a kind of dingy classroom, and then there's about a dozen prisoners uh, sitting on the floor. So I sit down in my robe, and then the uh, guards close the door and they were alone together. So uh, I was sort of breaking the ice, saying my name and getting people's names. And then meanwhile, outside the door, the guards start uh, heckling. They say, hurry, hurry, Krishna, hurry, hurry. Have you seen Barry? No, what about Larry? And then they go, hurry, hurry, this and stuff. And so anyway, that was uh, a bit upsetting. And um, the room was getting a bit stressed um, because they weren't honoring our time together. They were kind of making fun of me. And, I, and, I, and also I was thinking it wasn't a great start. Um, <laughs> so I said, well, why don't we practice... Uh, some loving-kindness meditation. <laughs> and then the, the guy next to me, named Arthur, who had just told us he was in for murder, he just says, 
I don't have any loving kindness. If I had the chance, I would break his neck again. (laughs) So I'm thinking, we're really, we're really rolling along. (laughs) You know, we're getting heckled outside. One guy just said he's break somebody's neck again. And so my, I was uh, jolted a little bit. But I did uh, listen. I did remember some refuge. Just listen in, listen in. And then I just said, well, you know, we're not uh, demanding that we feel a certain way. Can you allow that conviction? I have no kindness. We're not pretending to like what the guards are doing. We're not pretending anything. But we're going to practice being willing to listen, giving, being allowing it, not adding more fighting to it. Since I don't have any kindness, the sense of whatever we feel about their heckling, their mocking of the thinking I was Hare Krishna and those of holy words. So we just did that. We did that. We did that. And it was uh, a miracle experientially. It was a kind of what I call a, a meltdown. Tanisra was reminding us that the root of the word has something to do with the softening of the heart. But as we allow our convictions about ourselves and others and this, it's bad, it's good, as we allow, we, we start to sense it shifting, changing. Arthur started crying. We just kept being with sensations. I was doing a little guiding, just being with the sounds of the taunts. And it's called an immeasurable abiding. Because as one keeps welcoming, nothing's a disturbance. Everything is just, is the, we can include that, yeah, we can include that, okay. We're not pretending to like or not like, we're just being willing to be with, to allow, to be friendly with. We got so big, wide. We weren't locked into prison. And even the mocking petered out after a while. Who knows, maybe they were touched. So they're really encouraging us to be creative and interested in how to deepen our refuge, however we've experienced what was skillful for us in terms of the practices, this training of awareness, and to just be interested to finding ways of uh, gathering our life into that awareness or having moments. And just to, just to, to be really, really patient, really, really kind. The Buddha emphasized that this path is gradual. It's gradual. One of the images the Buddha gave, he said, if you're walking into the mist, at what point do you get wet? You can't really say that little by little the permeating, permeating. Little by little as we gather our life, our body, our movements, our actions. Little by little, touch it with awareness. Little by little by little, that, that awareness, just like that 
Bathman and the powder in the bowl, sprinkling the awareness little by little by little by little, it, it transmutes. You might say, well, no, that's all right, Kitty Sorrow, but, you know, enlightenment is just instantaneous. I mean, you know, there's all those Zen stories and, you know, boom, then that's, hate to break it to you, but, okay, okay, well, there's a fruit on a tree and at a moment it will drop, but that whole ripening process, very, very gradual Buddha really encourages and some of our, you know, tendencies are just going to be, are really, really difficult. God, you know, my, my insights, I had some early insights and, you know, early moments of peace and so I just thought, golly, wow, if this happened to me in a 10-day retreat, okay, the first three days were hell. But, day four, (sighs) it was beautiful. Oh, oh. Now, three 10-day periods in a month, 12 months in a year. Let's give myself two years anyway. I should blow the roof off this thing. (laughs) (laughs) And... I ran into some heavy weather. (laughs) Diarrhea for six months, bit by centipede, urinating blood, uh, mind feeling like I I was just a a greed and lust machine. You know, I was just, just, God. You know, I remember... uh, we, we had to haul water every day out of the wells, and the local villagers would use the wells too, but they would let them make sure the monks had done our thing first. And I, I remember, you know, one day, uh, this beautiful Laotian girl in, in a distance, lovely jet black hair, and beautiful face, and she says, Lalabo, which means, are you finished yet? And, uh, you know, so <laughs> I heard her say that for I don't know how long. And and eating, oh my God, eating, you know, I just, just, I just felt that, you know, and I'd look down and think I, I was, you know, fat, when actually I'd lost 30, 40 pounds, cause, but I just felt so greedy, because all I could do is, we ate one meal a day, and I would just, <laughs> and then my bowl would be empty, and I would think, who ate it? <laughs> I'd be a beached whale for the next, and then just vow never, ever again, never, ever ever again. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to be such a good meditator, and, uh, you know, once a week we'd sit up all night, and then I would determine I was going to really get samadhi. You know, we hear the Dhamma talk at maybe 5.36, and then, you know, okay, okay, this okay, this is, I'm going to really go for it, and, you know, but I don't care. I'm going to grip my teeth. This is going to be big. And then, you know, <laughs> yeah, 8.23 and you're dying, you know. <laughs> and you think, and you, you know, and then, and then you, you know, you kind of nod off a little bit. And then one of your fellow monks, uh, you know, comes and touches you right when you're nodding and says, Samadhi Dimai, which in Thai, How's your samadhi? <laughs> and and, and I, I, I felt like <laughs> I really felt like I could I could really throw a punch. <laughs> like watch your mind with this one. <laughs> but you know, you can't do that. And uh, oh God. And you know, and, and then you know you look up the line. And there's these bald heads and robes. <laughs> and some of them are nodding too. 
You know, that might make you feel a little, <laughs> a little better, but you're not a very impressive sight. <laughs> and, and then you look down the line, and there's more bald heads. <laughs> and, and they're kind of nodding. And so I just, I just thought, oh my God. I just felt, I felt so, everything was so impossible. It was just impossible. I felt really, I really felt like I was never going to laugh again. So finally, you know, I just uh, asked my abbot at the time, I said, look, you got to, can you help me talk to Ajahn Chah? So I need help. And so he, uh, this, my abbot was a, at that time, was a, a helicopter pilot from the Vietnam War who had finally uh, got an honorable discharge and got out and became this really good monk. And he could speak Laotian so fluently, Thai and Laotian so fluently that if someone heard him, they, they wouldn't know that he was a Westerner. So uh, his name was Ajahn Pabakaro. So he helped arrange a meeting with Ajahn Chah. And so we got to Ajahn Chah's monastery when everyone else went to, to chanting. And Ajahn Chah sat in his hut, which was on stilts, and he sat in the, underneath it's on stilts so that the creepy crawlies don't get up. There's this little water moat around so that all the ants and termites and things can't get in. But underneath the hut on stilts, there's a nice meeting place to meet Ajahn Chah, and he was in his wicker chair waiting. And so Ajahn Chah is sitting in the chair, and we came and bowed, and Ajahn Chah goes, Binyang! Which is like, well, what's up? <laughs> I said, Ajahn Chah, I'm in trouble. I said, I feel like I'm uh, never going to laugh again. I'm just, you know, lustful. I'm just greedy. I'm just, uh, you know, uh, just, you know, I'm a mess. And uh, and he said, hmm. And he asked me to tell me some about my life. So he got me talking about wrestling and the competitions and winning and stuff like that. And he said, hmm. And he said uh, in Thai, of course it was being translated by Ajahn Pabako, he says, you remind me of a a squirrel, baby squirrel. (laughs) So uh, Pabako says, he says you remind him of a baby squirrel. He might have said chipmunk or baby squirrel, something like that. I said, okay. He said, this baby squirrel, its mother could run up trees and jump on branches and do on this and that. And this baby squirrel saw its mom do that and said, yeah. So it ran up and jumped and dok, <laughs> which means it fell down and tied dok. It fell down. And the, the, the baby squirrel started crying and the mama squirrel said, you need to go to school. And so he had this baby squirrel going to kindergarten, first grade, <laughs> second grade, and it learned a few tricks and could jump on some branches and then dog. And he, I was sitting on the floor, Ajahn Chah was in his chair, and when he would go dog, it was like his eyes could go in a circle. <laughs> and, and it was big crying, and the mom said, come on, you got to keep going to school. So he had this, this squirrel, high school, college, <laughs> master's, Somewhere around the master's or Ph.D. Uh, activity, I just was dying laughing. <laughs> I was rolling on the floor of his hut in hysterical laughter. And Ajahn Chai is still talking, and Pabako's whispering in my ear about him getting this, this Ph.D. <laughs> and I, you know, I finally was able to sit up, and, and Ajahn Chai is just, just smiling, and he looked right at me. And he said, in one day, that squirrel could do everything its mother could do. Jumping here, there. Yeah. And I felt from the crown of my head down through every cell in my body, just this relief, this, this uh, joy. And, uh, And right as I was savoring it, he said, but you know, you also remind me of a donkey. <laughs> and I never really was telling that story till Tanisra said, Kitty Sarah, you got to bring that donkey out. <laughs> because I really wasn't so fond of the donkey story. 
He says, you know, you remind me of a donkey. And Babako says, he says, you remind him of a donkey. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We're still on here on this lovely, could do everything its mother could do. Where, where, where is he going with this? <laughs> I, I was... And he said, no, the, the, this was a clever donkey. The donkey loved listening to the music in the forest of the cicadas and the crickets, whatever they were. They were making this incredible music and this industrious donkey, this quite clever donkey, did some research and it wanted to know how they could do that. And it noticed... That, that they, these, these uh, whatever they were, cicadas, crickets, I'm not sure what they were, but they ate dewdrops in the morning. He saw that. And so with a certain amount of determination, he knew what his plan was. And the next morning, this donkey licked hundreds and thousands of dewdrops and then prepared to make music. <laughs> and he was so disappointed. <laughs> and Ajahn Chah just stopped the story. I'm just thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute, what does, what's that got to do with anything? <laughs> Slowly, I'm a very slow learner. Very, 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 very slow learner. But, uh, you know, this donkey. We're so easy, certainly in our culture, to be so aversive to our own form, our own sound, think we have to be someone else, turn ourselves into something else. And, uh, you know, again, this, this kindness practice, is welcoming this body, listening into our sound, letting our transmutation happen by working with this, this moment. Yes, the squirrel, the chipmunk, the, the, the practice, we're going to... He could say that to me with, with confidence because he's talking to all of us. We are destined, our destiny is to wake up. It's our nature especially when we've already made that movement back. Something. If we didn't have trust in the awakening process, we would not, I guarantee you, come to a 10-day retreat. But this remembering to, to, to honor this body, so much self-judgment, so much self-criticism, so much all these, you know, but to, to welcome, honor, the donkey. Listen to our sound. Let our sound find our sound. This is patient. The most powerful practice for overcoming unskillful states, the Buddha said, is patience. So I encourage us Really be very patient and remembering we're not going somewhere else. We're little by little learning to realize where we've always already been. Blessing, sprinkling moments of awareness right here and now. Letting the magic and mystery of this uh, Dharma realm reveal itself. Healing all the splits in ourself and the splits in the world. So this has been a blessed retreat for me. I can think of no other Thanksgiving period in my life that's been so blessed. And to have these, be able to be up here with such radiant and virtuous uh, beings, you know, it's been really, really, really precious to share this time with you all, all your deep, deep sincerity and, and practice and sharing of your wisdom. I really feel like I've been bathing in blessings and I have no doubt whatsoever this is an offering that is also touching the, the traumas of the world right now. Let's not overlook this, this wonderful, blessed way of uh, 
responding skillfully to our times. So, thank you. So we have a, uh, some time for walking and those who wish a last sit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.